grade are dismissed for Children's Church, and we bless the children as they go, and uh, look forward to what the Lord does in their lives as uh, they go into their time. This morning, we continue in our 40 days of prayer, and you may uh, notice that we are this morning talking in the book of Matthew, and uh, in two weeks, we will be done with our 40 days of prayer, and we'll be getting back into our kind of verse-by-verse uh, verse going through the book of Matthew, and we'll be picking up there in Matthew 11, but today, we're actually going to skip to the end of a section that will take us uh, to up till Easter and do this passage now, because today, we are in leading into the fifth week of our 40 days of prayer. We've talked about wake up now. Uh, we uh, had the theme in the second week, pray now. We talked two weeks ago, his now. Last week's uh, theme was worship now. And the beginning of this week now is family now. And so we're gonna jump a little bit ahead to Matthew, in Matthew, and look at this passage in Matthew chapter 12, talking about family now. Family now. So stories told of uh, the annual family picnic reunion. And at this annual family picnic reunion, a young bride leads her husband over to uh, this older woman who is busily crocheting in a rocker. And this young woman is so excited and she says, Granny, as she affectionately touches this old woman's hand, she says, Granny, this is my new husband. Well, the woman paused for a moment and looked critically at him. And after an awkward few moments, asked, Do you desire children? And the young man was rather taken aback because the bluntness of that question, having just met his grandmother-in-law for the first time, really, really grabbed him. And he wasn't quite sure what to say. And after blushing for a little bit and stammering, he said, well, well, well uh, yes, I, I do very much desire children. And after some time of Granny looking scornfully around at the large mass of family running around, gathering around the picnic tables, she looked at him once again and said, well, try to control that desire. Family's a blessing. Family is a blessing. And even though Granny didn't seem to be thinking how much of a blessing family was in that moment, we do celebrate and we rejoice in family, don't we? And as we consider today family now, we do celebrate and we do desire strong, healthy families. We believe that strong, healthy families are the foundation, a backbone, a building block that is essential for strong and healthy societies. And so we do honor and celebrate strong healthy families. But our focus this morning is bigger than just individual or even extended families like that family reunion that Granny was at. We are looking specifically this morning at the family of God. 
one of the most beautiful descriptions of the church of Jesus Christ. You have the body of Christ as one of those descriptions, metaphors. You have the people of God, but one that is just so personal and unique is the family of God. And so today we want to talk about family now because the family of God will last forever. And it's our desire that we as a local church would be more and more like the family of God that he has created us to be. Even in these 40 days of prayer, we are participating in this 40 days of prayer as part of our larger alliance family. So family can be in the, in the family of God here is the universal family of God. We have our own alliance family. And we have our own here together, local church here at Dorseyville Alliance Church family. And so it is our desire that we as a local church family would function more and more as God designed us to be. And so you may wonder, this passage is a rather shocking one because Jesus addresses family, but not in a way that we might think. But in this passage, as he addresses family, he calls us to a place of decision. A decision regarding our place in the family of God. So this morning, let's look at family now with three considerations. There are sermon notes in your bulletin. There'll be more fill-ins if you want to take notes. Uh, We'll be up on the screen. 40 days of prayer, family now. First consideration is this. Human family may be outside God's family. Human family may be outside God's family. Here's the the context, and you'll see this as we journey through the book of Matthew, starting here in a couple weeks in Matthew 11. We'll get to Matthew 12 eventually, but the context is that all of this is happening. This event here at the end of Matthew 12 is kicked off as a demonized man in Matthew 12, 22, is brought to Jesus. And this demonized man, most likely this demonic spirit, had caused him to be both blind and mute. And so as this man is brought, there is, as often you find in these kind of encounters, there is a large crowd that is present. And as this man is brought to Jesus, Jesus casts the demon out, we believe, and heals him so that he is able to see and so he is able to speak. And in the midst of this, we'll see in a a few weeks that there's a group called the Pharisees and a group called the teachers of the law, and they are there, and they use this miracle, this healing that Jesus does for this man, and uses it to accuse and to question Jesus by whose power he does this and who he really is. But it's at the end of this encounter of them talking and accusing and questioning Jesus and him interacting with them that something happens. We're told there in verse 46, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to talk to him. Someone told him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to talk to you. This word, outside, is important because Jesus' family was 
outside of the crowd. In the midst of this large crowd, there Jesus' family, his mother and his brothers are. They're there, but they're outside of it. His disciples, we're told in verse 49, are in the midst of it. They're near him. They're close to him as he is, has ministered to this man. And as he interacts with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the disciples are close. Their proximity is near. But his physical family is outside. But this physical proximity really probably describes well where they were in relationship to Jesus and the family of God at that moment. They were, at this point, outside of the family of God in relationship to Jesus. That's a hard thing for us to grasp. Because here they were, biological human family. They had experienced so much together. They had lost, scholars believe, the husband, Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, Mary's husband, and the father of his other siblings. They had gone through celebrations. They had gone through pain. They had gone through rejoicing. They had gone through challenges. They experienced life together. But yet, physically and spiritually, they were outside. Outside of the family of God. This was because Jesus' family did not believe in him at this point. How do I know that? In John chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, we see this account. It says, After this, Jesus went around in Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea because the Jews there were waiting to take his life. But when the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, You ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. And then John makes this commentary statement. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. This isn't the only place where this happened. Early in the book of Mark and Jesus' ministry being recorded by Mark, Mark writes in Mark 3.20, then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. They were there to eat, but they couldn't eat because the crowd was so large. And when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him for they said, he's out of his mind. Now we can give Jesus' mother and brothers some grace here, I believe, because imagine you have lived with your brother for all of your life, and now all of a sudden one day, <laughs> he gets baptized, and the Holy Spirit comes on him, and he begins to preach and perform miraculous signs, and he begins to make the claims, I am the one that you have been waiting for, the Messiah, the promised one. I mean, if my brother one day started to do this, I'd start to probably be like, I'm not, what is wrong with my brother? I need to go take charge of him because he is out of his mind. I know my brother and this does not compute. 
So we need to give Jesus' mother, Mary, and his brothers some grace on this. But at this moment in Jesus' ministry, his family did not believe in him. They were on the outside of the family of God. Human families, whether they are nuclear, single parent, adoptive families, blended families, extended families, all these families are great blessings and can be, as I said at the beginning, that building block of a healthy society. But they are distinct and separate from God's spiritual family. So we see in Jesus' interaction with his mother and his brothers here, human relationships don't bring you inside God's family. Because not even Jesus' family members at this point, even though they were family, biologically, relationally, were not on the inside. They were outside. Which speaks something for all of us. We can't depend on grandmother father or mother or even our siblings and what they have chosen and what they have believed about Jesus. Because family itself, no matter how much history, no matter how much blessing has been passed down, humanly does not get us in God's family. Because human family may be outside of God's. So, what does? What does bring us from outside of God's family to inside of God's family? Well, God's family does God's will. Verses 48 to 50, it says, Jesus replied to this one who came and said, your mother and brothers are outside wanting to speak to you. He replies to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he points to his disciples and he says, here are my mother and here are my brothers. For whoever does, verse 50, the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Doing God's will is what brings us inside. As he asks this question, who are my mother and brothers? It is such a shocking question because imagine <laughs> those who were there thinking, what do you mean? What do you mean who are my mother and my brothers? And for him to specifically point to the ones who are inside, who are near him and say, my mother and my brothers and my sister are those who do the will of God would have been absolutely shocking. Doing God's will is what brings you from outside of God's family to inside his family. His disciples were the ones at this point who were doing God's will, so they were the ones that were his family. So let me ask this question, what is God's will? I believe the scriptures would teach us that believing in Jesus ultimately is God's will. 
Broadly speaking, all that God reveals about himself, all that God reveals about his plans, all that God reveals about his purposes, the commands that he makes to live in relationship with him are all his will. But I believe scripturally that we can boil it all down if we want to say what is the will of God, we can boil it down to say believe in Jesus. Everything that he has said and revealed points to one person, and that is his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the totality of the fulfillment of the will of God in human form. And so we believe. We believe in Jesus. That is God's will. If you would with me, take a moment and flip back a few books to the book of John, to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verses 27 to 40. I want to walk you through a story quickly. John chapter 6, Gospel of John, verses 27 through 40. Leading up to this, Jesus has fed the 5,000 with a couple fish, a few pieces of bread, and there's 12 basketfuls left over. He's done this miraculous work of feeding 5,000 plus women and children. And at the end of this miracle, he gets in a boat and he says, I am going to withdraw from here and go to the other side of the lake, the Sea of Galilee. So he goes across ahead of the disciples. Disciples get in the boat and they're going across and they see this shadowy, ghostly figure walking out towards them and they are freaked out and it turns out it's Jesus walking on water, just another miracle and they go over to the other side. They get over to the other side the next day and the crowds that he had just fed the day before find out that he has gone to the other side. And so they take off and they get in boats and they go to the other side running after him, coming after Jesus. And as they come to Jesus, Jesus acknowledges this. You are following me because I fed you yesterday. In other words, I met your need and you want me to meet your need again. And so Jesus decides in this moment at the Father's direction that this is the time to reveal more of who he is to them so that they are not looking for physical things, but they are looking to him for the spiritual need that they have. And so beginning in verse 27, Jesus says this, Do not work for food, physical food that spoils, but for food, spiritual food, that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, the God, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. They're asking for something physical. Jesus is shifting it to something spiritual. The people still don't understand this shift. And so they ask him in verse 28, what must we do to do the works God requires? Could be argued that they're back still at the physical. What are the works that we should do? Jesus seeks to shift the conversation again back to the spiritual, and he says this, the work of God is this. Pay attention to this phrase. To believe in the one he has sent. What is the work that we are to do? Jesus says the work is this. Believe in the one that God the Father has sent. They go on in the next several verses and say, what miraculous sign are you going to do to prove that you really are the one that God has sent? And imagine this. <laughs> he just fed all of them 
with a few fish and a few loaves of bread the day before so that there was leftovers. And they say, well, what are you going to do to prove that you are the one? And as Jesus talks with them, they say, God, through Moses, sent manna down for our forefathers in the desert. What are you going to do? And in verse 33, Jesus says, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they say, give us this bread. And then Jesus makes this declaration, moving them from physical bread to spiritual bread. He declares in verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, and you, you have seen me, and still you don't believe, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. What is the will of God? And this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. What is God's will? That we would believe in the Son. That, if we boil it all down, the one that has been sent from heaven so that we might have eternal life, so that we might be brought into the family of God. And on the last day when Jesus returns, we will be raised to life everlasting and be with him as his sons and daughters forever in this family that will never end. This is the will of God, to believe in Jesus, the Son of God who the Father has sent to bring salvation to the world. And so belief in Jesus is what brings us from outside of his family to inside his family. It's not, did I behave well? It's not, did I do enough so that my good outweighs my bad? It's not, did I come to church enough? Did I read my Bible enough? Did I serve enough? Did I help granny enough? Did it, it doesn't matter. All those things are the result of our belief in Jesus, but they are not the thing that gets us into the family of God. What gets us into the family of God is belief in Jesus and his work on the cross, his death and his resurrection for the payment of our sins. Believe. 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 As I said earlier, it's not what your family has done. It's our decision. You and I must decide, inside or outside. The truth of the matter is that all of us were born outside. There was no one born inside the family of God. All were born outside. And so by repenting of our way, of our desire to try to make my way into the family, but to recognize that I have to believe in the one who can bring me into the family, Jesus. 
and by orienting my life around the one who now brings me into, my, into that family. This is our decision. We must decide inside or outside. It's a move of decision of faith from outside to inside. If you've never made that decision, today's the day to move from outside to inside. If you hear these words today and you find yourself on the outside or wonder, am I on the outside or on the inside? This is God's invitation to you (laughs) to come in, to come in. He's provided the way into the family. It's his son, the Lord Jesus. Now you may wonder, Jesus' family was on the outside. (laughs) Did they ever come in? I love the fact that even though at that point they were on the outside, at some point they came to believe that Jesus is the way into the family of God. In Acts chapter 1 verse 14, after Jesus had ascended into heaven and said, go back and wait and pray for the Holy Spirit that will be poured out upon you, and they were in the upper room, it says in Acts chapter 1 verse 14 that all the disciples gathered together along with the women and Jesus' mother and brothers. Somewhere along the way, I don't know chapter and verse, I don't know that it says chapter and verse, that they, just, they realize he is not out of his mind. He really is the son of God. He really is the Messiah that we have been waiting for. Somewhere it clicked for them. And they recognized that Jesus was the one. And the family that they were humanly expanded to the family of God that lasts forever. We're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 7 that Jesus' brother James was a witness to the resurrection. Church history tells us that James was one of the first leaders of the church in Jerusalem. And after he died, his brother Simeon, Jesus' half-brother, became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. So somewhere along the way, They made that shift. How about you? God's family does God's will. Last consideration is this. From this passage, we see that God's family spans generations. And so if if you've made this decision and you've said, I recognize I at one time... I've been outside, but I choose to accept Jesus the way. I choose to believe in him, and so I come inside. I accept, I be brought in. You now are part of a family that spans generations. Back to Matthew chapter 12 and verse 50, we see what we already read is that Jesus says, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. In this description of God's family by Jesus, we see two generations, mother, brother, and sister. Two generations represented. As Paul gives direction to his young protege, Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 5 through 2, we see God's family is generational, and we see this direction from Paul to Timothy. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, 
but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. If I'm reading this correctly, and I think I am, we have three generations represented here. Older and younger than Timothy, and Timothy in the middle. We have three generations. Jesus talking mother, brother, sister. Paul showing father, younger, and youngest. Generations. When we get into this family of God, just like human families, the family of God is a generational family. Which means that it is both multi and intergenerational. So I want to talk about this in our last moments. The family of God is multi and intergenerational. As I think about our own church family here in Dorseyville, multi-generation means that there are multiple generations. In our church, as I have thought through everyone, we have at least a couple representatives from the greatest generation. Those that were born from 1901 to 1927. We have a good amount of people from the silent generation. Those born 1928 to 1945. We have a good amount of people from the baby boomer generation. 1946 to 1964. We have more from Gen X. I'm in that group. 1965 to 1980. We have a good number from the millennial generation. 1981 to 1996, we have representatives from Generation Z, those born from 1996 to 2012, and we have representatives of Generation Alpha, 2013, all the way for a few more years to 2025. If you're counting along with me, that is seven generations represented in our church family. I don't know about you, but I would consider us in that way multi-generational. There is not one age group, one generation that is represented solely. We have representatives from seven generations. The family of God is multi-generational. But, As we celebrate that, we need to also recognize that that as a strength can also turn into a weakness. And here's how. Those in the greatest generation hang out together. They understand life together. Those in the silent generation are together. Those in the baby boomer, those in Gen X, those in millennials, those in Gen Z, those in Alpha. You get these generations connected together, but they become isolated in and of themselves. It almost can be click-ish, generational clicks. (laughs) And that's just human nature. We connect with the people who we are most like, who we understand. They're in our own age group, age bracket. And so we gravitate to those kinds of people. 
But an intergenerational church says, in all those different generations, we figure out ways to connect and to go out of our generation and connect with people in other generations. When I think about this, I think about my own extended family. Both sides of my family had multiple generations and we hung out together. But when I think about it the most, I think about my dad's side because it was the largest of the two families, two sides of the family, and we got together a lot. And so we had cousins that were of the same age. My dad and his siblings and their, and their spouses, they would be of the same age and they would hang out together. And then we had my grandparents. And there would be times when the siblings would hang out together in gatherings and the cousins would hang out together. But there was always a catalyst. And the catalysts were my grandparents, my papa and my nana. And they were the ones that sought to bring all of those generations together. And they modeled it so well because my grandparents would get the youngest ones and they'd bring them into the kitchen. My, my, grandfather, my grandmother would cook with everybody. My grandfather would play with everyone. It modeled it so that my parents and my aunts and uncles, they would invest down into the, the nephews and nieces and all. These gatherings were intergenerational. And I think Family represents that. These family gatherings represent this intergenerational thing. As grandparents invest in the grandkids, as aunts and uncles into the nephews and nieces, and there's all of this cohesion and interconnectedness. And it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. It's the way God created it. So if we are family... The family of God, and this is a smaller representation of the family of God that God has brought us together here as church family at Dorseyville Alliance Church. Doesn't it make sense that we also would not just be multiple generations, but that we would be interconnected generations? Where the older are looking to invest in the younger where the younger are saying, I want to know you, I want to love on you, I want to hear from you, I want to hear your experience, you have so much to teach me. Where the older are relying on the energy and the strength of the younger sometimes. Where this beautiful picture where it works together, symbiotically together, intergenerational. Friends, I believe that we are being called into this. A few weeks ago, we had a joint leadership meeting of our elders and our board of ministries. And we kind of took evaluation, prayed through some things, took evaluation. What are some of the strengths, weaknesses, some, are some of the opportunities? What are the things that might threaten us as a church family? And one of the things that really came out together that the Lord was revealing is the strength of multi-generational that a threat can be living in those multi-generations separately, but an opportunity is to capitalize on the multi to be intergenerational. The world needs family. Especially we see the brokenness of family in our culture. Where will our world learn what family looks like? Our church family can model it. 
as we together intentionally love on, support, worship, learn, invest in one another, serve together, be on mission together as family, intergenerationally. And so in these last months, we've been sensing the Lord helping us to recapture that kind of up focus of the being about the presence of God, where Christ's presence brings life and healing and, pre- and restoration, where we are people of his presence. But now I believe the Lord is leading us to focus on a recapturing and a redevelopment of this in so that we are intergenerationally strengthened and connected. It's the picture of the family of God. Not just multi, but intergenerational. So, in two weeks, we're going to have a potluck. Because what does family do best? Family eats together. And things happen when you eat together. Conversation happens. But here's what we're going to encourage in that. In two weeks, bring something to share. A dish that you can share with others. If for some reason you can't bring it, that's fine. We're going to make sure there's lots of food. So you come no matter whether you have food or not. But after the service, we'll go downstairs to the fellowship hall and we'll just eat together. But here's the one thing. We want to be intentional about this. We find people of another generation and we sit with them. And we seek to talk and learn and just enjoy being in relationships with people who are not our own age. Because I can tell you, our natural inclination will be, I know the people in my generation, I'm going to be drawn to go sit with them. And that's natural. But let's be intentional. And we can even be intentional as we dismiss this morning to look at those around us who are different generations so that our generations begin to become inter, not just multi. It's God's vision for the family, an intergenerational family. And as we do, we find that what Jesus says is true. Who are my mother, my brother, and my sisters? That we have our biological families and we celebrate those. The family that will last forever is God's. And so we invest in that as well. So may the Lord bless you as family. And may you see the specific way that God has placed you in this family so that you would be blessed and a blessing to those around you. And in these moments as we close, worship team will come and lead us in a closing song. I just want to give you opportunity. If you're listening today and you're saying, I wonder, (laughs) am I outside or inside? Jesus, even as we sang, Jesus is in this room. He is here with us by his spirit. And he's calling to each one who may wonder, am I on the outside or inside, to come trust in me. To do the will of the Father. And that is to believe in the Son who came 
from heaven, from the Father, who went to a cross to die in our place, to take our sin, and was resurrected to overcome death and the devil, is in heaven and is coming again one day to orient our lives around Jesus in faith and belief. And so if you wonder today, I just want to give you opportunity as we close to say, Jesus, I believe in you. And I want to orient my life around you and your family. So let me lead us in prayer in that way. And then worship team can come and lead us in a closing song. So Jesus, we just thank you. You are the one who has brought us into the family of God. Father, thank you for sending your son. We rejoice in that fact that you have made us to be part of the family of God. And so, Father, I pray for any today who may wonder or may even know, yeah, I'm, I'm like Jesus' mother and brothers at that time in this passage. I'm, I'm on the outside, but I so want to be in. I thank you, Jesus, that you came so that we can come into the family of God now and forever. And so if that's you and that's your desire, just pray something simple like this. Father, I recognize that my sin has kept me outside of your family. And I so want to be a part of your family now and forever. I believe that Jesus was sent by you so that I could be part of the family of God. I believe that he died on the cross to pay my sin price. I believe he was buried and that he was resurrected three days later. I believe that he is with you at your right hand in heaven and one day is coming back to make all things right and to bring us to be with you forever. I choose and I decide to accept the work of Jesus and I come into your family. Help me to orient and build my life around Jesus and to learn what it means to be part of your family now and forever. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your work on the cross. Thank you that you call us brothers and sisters. We love you. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.